Thank you so much, worship team, and good morning to you, New Life. Super glad that you are uh, joining us via live stream this morning. Um, if you haven't already heard, I'm sure you have, um, we made the gut-wrenching, uh, difficult decision this weekend to move all of our service to one uh, online live stream service at 10 a.m. Um, until further notice. So this weekend, you guys, I'm sure, heard um, the president made a declaration of national emergency. Uh, not only that, Asheville city officials have requested um, that there would be no larger group gatherings over uh, 100 people. And so we just felt like ultimately, and we went back and forth um, all week long on this, that ultimately we felt like this was the best way for us both to uh, love our neighbors well and also to honor our governing authorities. Now, understand this decision was really difficult for us because we really, really believe at New Life in the, in the church gathered, like live, in person, in the flesh. We're commanded to do that in Hebrews chapter 10. The reality is we, we need one another relationally, especially in hard times uh, like this one. And so, man, we're really grateful that technology affords us this opportunity to stay connected. I'm super grateful for that. Um, but I got to tell you, I'm, I'm already really looking forward to that Sunday um, where we can reopen those doors and gather everybody together and just give each other big hugs and handshakes and be together again and worship um, our King Jesus. And I don't know if that's going to be two weeks from now. God forbid it's two months from now. We just don't know. Um, but, but what I do know is it's going to be a big party uh, that Sunday. I'm going to buy some balloons on the way, and we're just going to have a, a good time. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, let, me, let me just say uh, a couple of things related to this um, whole corona, coronavirus epidemic that we um, find ourselves just kind of cast into, and then we'll jump into our new message series called Transformed this morning. Here's, here's what I know above all else, church. Even, even with all of the chaos out there right now, even with all of the hysteria, even with all of the panic, even with all of the, short, uh, the, the toilet paper shortages in, in all of the grocery stores, uh, even amidst everybody kind of losing their minds and, and freaking out, this is what I know to be true. Jesus still sits on his throne. He, he's still right where he's always been. Uh, none of this has taken him, taken him by surprise at all. Um, and as his people, we are not to be a people of fear. Like that's just, that's not a part of our DNA makeup as disciples of Jesus. Second uh, Timothy chapter one, the apostle Paul says this. He says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so we intend to live that out as a church family during this time, man. We're gonna, we're gonna care for the sick among us. Uh, we're gonna learn how to love each other really well, maybe in some new practical ways that we've never had to do before. And above all, uh, we're gonna trust and press into God uh, during this season. As I shared in a letter to our, our church family uh, this weekend, let me just briefly give you um, three encouragements uh, in light of this kind of global pandemic that we find ourselves in, and then we'll dive into our, our message this morning. And I've got a, a good friend uh, from all the way across the pond that I'm looking forward to introducing you to, and he's got some incredible stories, I think, that are really gonna encourage you this morning. But three, three, quickly, three encouragements for our church family here at New Life as we, as we kind of navigate this season together in this uh, coronavirus pandemic. Number one, 
uh, church family, I would just plead with you, I would implore uh, you to pray. Um, now this is, this is not just, this is not a cliche. This is not just a blanket Sunday school answer where this is what a, a pastor has to say or a church has to say or this is just the correct thing for Christians to say. I, I really am convinced that prayer moves the divine needle, that prayer moves the hand of God. And so church family, let's be praying consistently, constantly for those who are suffering under the hand of this virus. Let's be praying for um, our medical teams that are working furiously all over the world right now to save lives. Many of them actually are, are part of our faith family right here at New Life. Let's pray for leaders, both at the local, the state, and the national level who are making incredibly difficult decisions right now in order to keep us safe and to save lives. And let's also be in prayer for those in our community who are gonna be radically affected by this virus, if not physically, um, I know, man, financially, a lot of people, maybe all of us, are gonna be affected uh, by this particular virus. And so be in prayer for those who are gonna be affected by this as well. So listen, God, God hears and God answers the prayers of his children. So let's, let's pray. If you're not typically a, a person of prayer, now, now would be a good time to kind of jump in, right? The water feels good over here. Come on in, become a person of prayer. I told you guys earlier this year, I'm, I'm fasting um, every single Monday, and so now might be a good time for you to kind of jump on that boat with me. It's been really good. I've really enjoyed just having a day a week where every time I get hungry, I'm reminded to uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, if you can't do that, perhaps you can uh, fast from social media. Uh, maybe you could fast from watching the news. That would be awesome, probably good for your mental health as well to take a day a week where you're just not turning on CNN or Fox News or anything like that, but would invite you to just join me on this journey of, of prayer, pleading with our Father, our good Father, uh, to have mercy and to protect and give grace. And so let's pray bold prayers. Let's not pray uh, flimsy or wimpy prayers. Our God hears. So that's encouragement number one. Encouragement number two for our church family is uh, be ready to help, right? So we are, we are going to be actively looking for ways for us to engage in our community and to help those who are most affected by this epidemic. Um, schools, I, I just read this morning, are, are starting to cancel at the uh, national level. And so what that means practically is there are gonna be a lot of children who depend are, are dependent on uh, food, breakfast and lunch from their schools that are no longer gonna have access to food. So this, this could be a great chance for our church family to step up and feed hungry families, hungry, underprivileged children in our community. That may be one way uh, that we can kind of step in and be the hands and feet of Jesus during this time. It may look like caring for your sick neighbor. Now, we, we don't know how widespread this is gonna be. We don't know how many people this is gonna affect uh, in the 828, but we do believe it is gonna come. It is gonna affect people here. Um, so it may, be, it may be caring for your sick neighbor. It could be prepping meals for those who fall ill in your community group or small group. This may mean uh, us helping fill gaps uh, in our city, wherever they're needed, but I can tell you that we are gonna be actively seeking these opportunities and we will be uh, communicating these opportunities with you as we're made aware of them by our community partnerships as well as government local officials. But here's what I do know. We will not, as a church family, we will not be driven by fear. Instead, we're gonna look for ways that we can leverage this situation and leverage this tragedy to make much of Jesus in our neighborhoods 
and, and right here in our city. And then finally, last encouragement for our church family during the season is to, to leverage this time, to leverage this tragedy. In other words, don't, don't waste this unique time in our history by sitting around um, fretting, worrying, stressed out. Man, I know that for, for many of us is really hard not to do. Uh, let me encourage you, as I said earlier, turn the, turn the news off. I, I'm as guilty as anybody. I wake up in the morning, I tend to, to grab my phone off my, my nightstand, and I'm looking at the news, I'm looking at my Twitter feed to see what's happening uh, in the world, and that probably is like the most unhealthy way that any of us could start our day. So let me just encourage you, tur- turn the news off, pour your, wake up, pour yourself a hot cup of coffee, open your Bible, Uh, Use this time just to bathe yourself in the promises of God. Commit in this season to growing deeper in your walk with Jesus. Uh, Take walks with your kids, with your spouse, uh, with your family. That's something Cheryl and I have been doing the last few days with our our kids, man. We just get out and there's a cow pasture close to our house and we just walk around and uh, talk to one another and enjoy time together and look at the cows and all that kind of fun stuff. So take advantage of this time. Take walks with your loved ones. Uh, remind one another of God's faithfulness. Go back, to, go back to scripture. Talk about how God was faithful in the Exodus to his people. Talk about Noah and his family. Just remind your kids of God's faithfulness and his grace, even in difficult times. I'd also encourage you to meditate on really positive kind of life-giving passages in Scripture. Maybe John chapter 15, the first 17 verses in particular of John chapter 15, that passage about abiding in Jesus. Perhaps Psalm 91, that's been one of my favorite go-to passages, um, really not just this season, but, but this, this year in 2020. It's been kind of one of my go-to passages. So find passages like that. Also, I would encourage you, check on your neighbors. Maybe you want to offer, offer them some TP, something like that. Walk over there. You can charge them $10 a square, I think, now. Or you, or you could give it to them for free. Now, Mike Watkins would probably charge $10 a square. I would do it for free. Um, but church, man, here's, here's what I, I was thinking. I was, I was just kind of processing this. What, what, if, what if we, together as a church family, really use this time to unite and to become the church instead of just attending church? This could absolutely be a a pivotal moment in the life and history of our church family. So church family, let's not not waste this season. Let's not waste this tragedy. Let's use it uh, for our good and for God's glory. We love you guys, Um, our elders, our staff. We love you. Uh, We're praying for you. We're gonna be meeting tomorrow, just kind of putting out a game plan for how to stay connected with you guys and minister to you during this season, but I just want you to know, I want you to hear that, that you are loved by your church leadership and that we're gonna get through this season together um, with God's help. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get to our message this morning. We're starting a brand new message series called Transformed, and it's all about how to become a, a disciple of Jesus and how to make other disciples of Jesus. Um, and, and here's why we're, we're doing a, a four or five-week series on this. I think I think most Christians, most of you tuned in watching this, if you're a part of our our faith family or even if you're just a believer and happen to be uh, tuning in, most of us would agree that as believers, as followers of Jesus, our primary purpose on on this planet is to be a disciple and also to make disciples. I mean, most of us would uh, agree about that. And yet there, there seems to be great confusion about what a disciple of Jesus actually is. 
And so, for instance, is, is, is a disciple of Jesus someone who um, goes to church every week and uh, never cusses and reads their Bible for at least an hour every single day? Um, or is being a disciple of Jesus something that's really private and, and personal that's just kind of between that person and, and God and it's really kind of nobody else's business? Um, no, the truth of the matter is that we, we need to define the terms because if we don't know what we're we don't know what we're shooting at. We're never going to hit our target. No joke. I was, I was actually reading this week about uh, an Olympian marksman, and this guy was the best in the world. This is, I think, around the year 2000, 2004. I can't remember, um, but this guy was just like the best sharpshooter in the world. I mean, he was just racking up gold medal after gold medal. And it came down to the last event of of the Olympics, and he was, of course, in first place. He was just um, man, he was amazing. He had one shot left, and, um, and, and he was going to win, win gold. And all he had to do was, like, hit the target, and it was, it was over. He was going to clean sweep all the gold medals. So he takes his final shot, and he, and he nails it. It's like bullseye. The guy thinks he won, but there was only one, one little problem. You know what it was? He actually hit the wrong target. But by accident, he went one lane over, and he hit the bullseye in his opponent's lane. And he went from gold medal to no medal at all. And it was just this huge ordeal in the media. It was embarrassing. He was embarrassed. He was humiliated. It was this really tragic event. And I'm afraid that that's sort of kind of what's happening in a lot of American churches today. I'm afraid that we've done a, a pretty good job, maybe even a really good job of making fans of Jesus but actually we've done a poor job of making disciples of Jesus. In a new life, we wanna be a community of disciples who make disciples, and I'm convinced that all of us have a part to play in the story that God is writing in this world. But I think both, by and large, I think both our model and our definition of a disciple um, in the American church has been all wrong. Now that's, that's the bad news. I think there are a lot, of, a lot of churches, a lot of Christians are missing the target entirely. But here's, here's the good news. Jesus gives us a really simple, and he gives us a really beautiful picture and definition of what it means to be his disciple in Matthew chapter four. And so here's the plan this morning. We're gonna read this passage. We're gonna, we're gonna define what a disciple is. We're gonna spend the next four weeks kind of doing a deep dive on all of those elements of what a, being a disciple of Jesus is so that we're all um, together on the same page. We're rowing the boat in the same direction as a church family. And then in just a few minutes, I'm gonna invite my, my friend Rafiq up because I want you to hear how disciples are being made through one of our partnerships in the Middle East. I think we have a lot to learn about being disciples of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus, and we can learn so much from our brothers and sisters all across the world who are doing it, frankly, um, a lot better than we are oftentimes. And so uh, grab a Bible if you're on your couch or in your bed with your family. Go ahead and grab a Bible or your Bible app on your device. Open it up. Go to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to go through this quickly. Um, at this point in time in the narrative, we're going to start in verse 18. Uh, Jesus has just been through 40 days of temptation and testing in the wilderness. And he is beginning his earthly ministry He's, at this point, he's walking by the, the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been in this area, had the privilege of going one time, it's just a stunningly beautiful place, this area. Jesus is walking by this, this sea, comes across two young fishermen named Peter and Andrew, and he invites them to be his disciples. And the way he invites them in, 
I think, gives us great insight into what Jesus considers to be an actual disciple. So Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, that's Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, here's kind of the key, the key to the whole, whole deal. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, did you catch the invitation in verse 19? Right, we're gonna actually put this on the screen for you. Jesus said, follow me, and when you follow me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you, I'm gonna transform you into something that you're not currently. I'm gonna make you, change you into fishers of men. Now, in the first century Jewish culture, it was, it was not unusual at all for a rabbi to have disciples. What is unusual is that normally it was the disciples who would come to the rabbis and say, Rabbi, can we be your disciple? Can we follow you? Can we learn from you? Can we live life with you for a season? But Jesus flips the script. See, he's the rabbi, he's the teacher, but he's the one who pursues and calls his disciples. Now, understand, this was a massive commitment, right? This, this is not like, hey guys, let's, let's go meet at Starbucks once a week and for about an hour, and we got this little Bible study we're gonna go through for, for six weeks or, or eight weeks. It, it was not that. This invitation was, hey guys, come, come be with me. This is, this is relationship. We're, we're gonna do life together, where you go, I'm gonna go. When I suffer, you're gonna suffer. My wins become your wins. Your losses become my losses. This is a very intense, very personal, very relational invitation. So from this invitation, we actually get our um, definition of what a disciple is here at New Life. We call this the disciple triangle. I'll put this up for you in just a minute. My hope is that after today and especially after this series, if someone were to come up to you in your neighborhood or your classroom or your school or wherever else, the grocery store, and ask you, hey, what is it? I heard you're a Christian. What does that mean? What, d tell me what being a Christian is all about. My hope is that after today, you would be able to quickly and easily articulate this definition of what a disciple or a Christian is. Now, I, I love this definition because it, it passes what I call the, the napkin test which means that I can draw it, I can sketch it for you on a napkin in 30 seconds or less. And if you're a visual person like me, and that's absolutely key. So being a disciple of Jesus has, has three particular components. Now, if you remove any of those components, it no longer works, right? So it's like if you take a three-legged stool and you rip one of those legs off and I ask you to come up and sit in it after I move one of the legs, are you gonna sit in it? Well, of course you're not, right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore, right? Once you rip one of the legs off, it no longer serves the purpose for which it was created. It's the same thing as a disciple of Jesus. So really quickly, here are the three components of being a disciple of Jesus. As we walk through these, just ask yourself if you're there. Like, as we walk through these, just do an honest self-assessment and ask yourself, am I really there? And, and if you're not there on one of those, that, that's okay, then the question shifts to what do I need to do to make sure that, I, that I'm there and I'm actually following Jesus. So let me put that definition of, uh, of a disciple back on the screen for you. Follow me and I will make you 
fishers of men. So I think you've had the discipleship triangle up there. We're going to put it up there again. Again, you can sketch this in 10 seconds on a napkin. So a disciple is someone that, number one, follows Jesus. Again, this is an invitation into relationship. This is come be with me. Come spend time with me. Come live this life with me. This is this is John 15 type abiding in Jesus. Again, we'll deep dive on this more next week. But listen, the, the idea in our culture, especially the one that's permeated the church the last 30 or 40 years in this country, this idea that being a Christian merely means having some facts right in our heads about Jesus. Let me just say, and I don't mean to offend you by this. I'm just trying to be honest with you. I love you enough to be honest with you. That whole idea that it's just having some right facts about Jesus that makes you a disciple of Jesus or a Christian, that idea is completely unbiblical. You will not find that anywhere in the pages of Scripture. Jesus never said to Peter and Andrew, hey, hey boys, listen, come, come hang out with me. Learn, learn a few historical facts about me for a few weeks, and then boom, done. You guys are disciples. No. Being a disciple is relationship. It's learning how to follow him, how to be with him, how to walk with him, how to talk with him through prayer and the reading of his word. It is a dynamic relationship. That's component number one of being a disciple of Jesus is someone who actually follows him. Not someone who just knows facts about him, but someone who's actually following him. Uh, number two, the second part, or second element of being a disciple of Jesus is life change. Now, now go back to the invitation. He he promised Peter and Andrew that if they did follow him, if they did live life with him, he would change them. He would transform them, right? He goes, hey, boys, listen, you come and spend some time with me, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you. In other words, I'm going to take what you are now, and I'm going to transform you into something better than you currently are. I'm going to take you. I'm going to make you. I'm going to mold you. I'm going to transform you. Not, not overnight, not overnight, but church, listen to me. You, you cannot, it is impossible to walk faithfully in relationship with Jesus for years and remain exactly the way that you were. Church, hear me. That, that is religion. That is dead. That is not the gospel of Jesus. We will unpack this more in two weeks. So third component of being a disciple of Jesus, number three, right? So follow, I'm following Jesus. I'm being changed by him, not overnight, but over the course of a lifetime. There should be evidence. There should be fruit of change in your life. And then number three, a disciple is someone who lives on mission with Jesus. So Jesus looks at these two young fishermen, and he goes, hey, hey boys, you, you guys are really good at catching fish, right? Yeah, we're good, Jesus. You, got, you, guys, are, you guys are pros at that. But I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men, right? I'm going to teach you how to make disciples, you're gonna learn how to help other people find and follow me. Your mission in life is gonna become my mission. You're gonna reorient your entire life around this mission of helping people find and follow me. And in that mission, here's the key, boys. In that mission, you're actually going to come alive because this is what your creator created you for. This is gonna give you life. This is gonna give you purpose this is gonna give you satisfaction. This is the good life that you're looking for. This is the adventure that you were actually created for. And so disciples of Jesus live on mission with Jesus. We'll break that down uh, in a few weeks even further. So again, just in summary, a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus, right? There are a lot of people who believe intellectually in Jesus, who know a lot of historical facts about Jesus. That's not the same thing as following Jesus. So a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows him, 
someone who is in the process of being changed by him. Again, not overnight, not perfectly, but in the process of, of life change. We talk, we kind of use the term sanctification. We'll get into this in two weeks. And then finally, someone who's living on mission with Jesus. Now, that, that's really simple. That's the way that we define a disciple of Jesus here at New Life because we believe that's the way that he defined what a disciple was. We'll do a deep, deep, or deeper dive into that um, in the next few weeks.